Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded few in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, February 28th, we are studying John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. In today's text, when Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is ill, Jesus delays going to Bethany for two days, and Lazarus dies. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be back. As we get started today, Pastor Preuss, help us with some context. We're starting John chapter 11. What should we know about what Jesus has been doing? Anything in the Gospel of John that'll help us with today's text? Well, the the more immediate context is finishing off with John 10. He had just recorded the events of Jesus uh, in the colonnade of Solomon there at the temple um, during the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. So the Jews had wanted Jesus, went right up to him and said, speak plainly to us about whether you are the Christ. And he speaks very clearly to them that he and the Father are one. And so they end up uh, picking up stones to kill him because he, in their minds, is guilty of blasphemy. He's just a man, they think, and he's saying he's God. And so Jesus, you know, he points them to believe the works that he was doing so that they might believe that the Father is in Jesus and Jesus and the Father. And uh, they want to arrest him for all of this, but then Jesus escapes. And then he goes across the Jordan River to where John had been baptizing at first. Many people are believing in him, and that's kind of where we end. Uh, and John then records this account before us today. And, you know, if you look at all the commentators on this verse or this section, chapter 11, uh, it's a very detailed eyewitness account. And so it's it's really a treasure for us to be able to go through this and see the humanity of Jesus as well as his divine work. Um, and to speak of and the rest of John, I mean, he is in him is life, right? Um, and we're going to definitely, as we go through chapter 11, see Jesus as the resurrection and the life, and uh, that he is the one who, who gives true believers this eternal life uh, that he has obviously purchased, as we're going to talk about here, uh, by his death on the cross and and has guaranteed through his own resurrection. Mm. Yeah, thinking about John's gospel as a whole, it seems that chapter 11 serves as a a climax of sorts, not the ultimate climax. We know that that comes with the death, the resurrection of our Lord. But as the ministry of Jesus has taken shape with the way John records it, especially with the great detail, as you said, that you get in this chapter, and the fact that they're ready to kill him at the end of this text, not not today's text, but when we get to the end of chapter 11, it seems that, that what happens with Lazarus is a very climactic moment in the ministry of Jesus. Again, not the ultimate climax, but it's it's pretty high up in in terms of its importance in the shape of Jesus' ministry. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. In John's gospel, because once we get into chapter 12, we get the triumphal entry and we get into chapter 13 and we've got the high, uh, his uh, upper room with the disciples. Uh, and, you know, it just kind of turns into the passion narrative at that point. Right. And so this is, you know, kind of, uh, I guess we could use the word proleptic. He's, he's there's some, something here is going to point to something later. And, uh, and so it's kind of foreshadowing for us what Jesus suffering and death is going to bring. Uh, it's going to bring a resurrection. It's going to bring a life. And so, yeah, you kind of meet this climax, uh, when it comes to his ministry in demonstrating why he came, uh, this is the goal. And then he goes to then earn it, uh, and brings it fully in his own resurrection. So we have the beginning of John chapter 11 today. We'll be spending several days in this chapter going through this very important event in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we have John 11 verses 1 to 16. Here is the text. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. That is our text for today. That is John 11, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Price, help us with the the people we meet in this text. John has not introduced these people before to us. He tells us some information about them, but who are the people that we're going to encounter in this text? We have siblings. So uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We'll start with Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus' sisters referred to him as he whom you love when when he when they were talking to Jesus. And that means that he was a close friend of Jesus, the Greek word there, uh, you know, speaking to that uh, for love. And his name is a name that means roughly God has helped. And we hear about him really only in this chapter and the next. Some people like to mention what Luke says about Lazarus and the rich man, but we don't have any uh, connection there for sure. Um, but what we do have is uh, a man here who uh, was a good friend of Jesus, uh, who was somebody that Jesus obviously loved dearly, uh, along then with his his sisters. And so Mary, we know a little bit more about her 
than, than Lazarus outside of this account. In chapter 12, we'll hear about her actually anointing the Lord with ointment and wiping his feet with her hair. So that, that'll be in the next chapter. Uh, and she's also the one who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said when Jesus visited her house. We hear about this in Luke chapter 10. And here, another word is used for love, that Jesus loved her and her sister Martha, uh, more of a, a caring for them. And so they too were, were his friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we obviously look at all of ourselves as friends of Jesus, and he's the one who laid down his life for us, as we read in John 15, uh, and, and we trust in him. But, but Mary and, and Lazarus, I mean, in that local way, that, that physical way, they were friends with Jesus. And so was Martha. You know, Martha uh, was the one who, you know, contrary to what Mary did, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made when Jesus did visit them. Uh, and she was the one uh, to whom Jesus then pointed uh, her to his, his word and said, Mary has the better portion here, right? The, the one thing needful, she's, she's chosen me and my word. And Martha, you need to listen to this as well. So we, we all kind of know the account of Mary and Martha with Jesus. Uh, and so we kind of have Lazarus added in here uh, amongst the friends of Jesus, but he, he does love them very much. Uh, they are close friends of his. And then uh, the last character we have in this, uh, besides the disciples, uh, who come up here uh, is Jesus himself. Uh, and again, his friendship with them is real with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's not fully recorded in scripture, but we, we can read between the lines here and see that he clearly knew them uh, better than he would have known others in his, during his, his three-year ministry. All right. So that's the, the background of who these people are. What about where they are? This is a village named Bethany. What do we know about the geography here? So that's where, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are from. It's about two miles east of Jerusalem. And what's interesting about this is this is where Lazarus is. Uh, as you know, they get word that Lazarus is sick. Uh, and where Jesus is, is actually also known as Bethany, but it's Bethany across the Jordan. Uh, and so this is where Jesus pres presumably still was at the time. You know, John doesn't have a, a strict uh, chronology going with with his uh, gospel, like you, you'll see in in the other ones. But it is a different Bethany. This is the place where John had been baptizing at first. We see that at the end of chapter ten, and uh, it was east of Jericho, so it'd just be a few miles from Jericho on the east side of the Jordan River. So these are there are two Bethanies. And they are two different, different towns. I remember when I moved to Iowa, you know, people would tell me that, you know, I'd say, where are you from? They say, oh, I'm from Denver. And, you know, I think I'm thinking <laughs> Denver, Denver, Colorado, right? I mean, that's what most people would think. Well, there is a Denver, Iowa, you know? And so is that, you gotta is be that a mile high too. No, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe a mile, uh, long corn fields, but, uh, right by it. It's a, it's a really nice town and it's a nice place, uh, and a lot of good people there for sure. Um, but not quite a mile high with the mountains, but it just tells you, you do have to be careful with geography. These are you're two different, different cities. Yes. A shout out to all the fine folks of Denver, Iowa. That's, that's fantastic. There's a, there was a Paris, Texas. There's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good reminder. Right, right. Yeah. A good, a good reminder. So that's, that's where we are. We are in the Bethany that is two miles east of Jerusalem. And then tell us about the, the situation that is brought to the Lord's attention in verse three, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
Yeah. So Lazarus is ill and we don't know what the illness was, but we know that had to be severe enough that the sisters thought that Jesus should come. And, uh, you know, there's also something within the text itself. When you look at verse one, it says a certain man was ill. Uh, and then you go on in verse two and it talks about whose brother Lazarus of Mary, whose brother's Lazarus was ill. Um, and then in verse three, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And so there is this repetition and that too would tell you that, uh, the text is suggesting that this is a severe illness. This isn't just some, um, you know, sniffles, uh, and it's, you know, this is a reminder for us too, as Christians that, um, you know, remember this account of Lazarus and drive great comfort from it when you get sick, especially if it's a severe illness that that uh, you too should go to to Jesus, right? And uh, we do that in his word uh, and in prayer, of course. Uh, but here they are, they're going to Jesus. Uh, he's in the flesh there in Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, and they want him to come to Bethany uh, two miles east of Jerusalem to to be with Lazarus. So Jesus hears that news, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's in verse 3. And then Jesus responds in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What does Jesus mean? Yeah, so the Son of God glorified through Lazarus's illness. Uh, what he means by this verse is that this is not going to lead to Lazarus's permanent death, right? So it's not going to lead to a physical, you know, temporal death, but it's not going to lead to an eternal death either. And as we go through the entire chapter over these days, uh, boy, do you see that beauty of, of that truth and what Jesus does. But he says here that it's for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So you've got both the Father and, and the Son. And so the Son or the Father would use this occasion of Lazarus's illness to show his glory through his Son who shares in that glory. So, so Lazarus would die physically, but as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and he is the one doing it with his very word, this would show God's glory, the Father's glory through his Son so that all of the honor, uh, all the honor would go to the father and the son as, as we read in chapter five. And so, uh, it is, a, a really a beautiful text here that shows that, you know, in chapter 10, I and my father are one well, they are one, a God, but they are also one in, in the work that they do. You talked about how this text as a whole is a comfort to us as Christians, especially when we are sick. Are, are Jesus' words here in verse 4, are, are they intended, you know, well, they are intended specifically for Lazarus, but is there comfort for us from these words of Jesus about illness and the glory of God? I mean, is there comfort for us in these words of Jesus as well when we get sick? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good thing to, to draw out that we Christians are loved just like uh, Lazarus, just like Mary, just like Martha. And when Jesus uh, laid down his life for us and took it up again, uh, as the chapter 10 talks about, uh, he is uh, guaranteeing for us our own resurrection as those who trust in him. 
those who are baptized into his death and his resurrection. And so when we are going through difficult uh, times, whether it be, you know, sicknesses or anything else in life, but let's stick with the sickness since this is the context of our text, uh, we can trust that the Lord will uh, work through even that in order to show forth his glory one day. Um, he will even raise us from the dead. And so when, when I, you know, I've had four funerals here in the last couple months. And when I look at a, a woman on her deathbed who is uncomfortable, who is shifting in her, her bed, who doesn't look her full self, who looks like she's not full of light, but headed toward death because she, she is, uh, I can say this is for the glory of God. He's going to take this woman who anybody else in the world would say her life is ending. And I, I say, yes, her life is ending temporarily, temporarily here. But as we'll read those beautiful verses that we get, not, not in our text for today, but when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This, this is what we can say, and you know this as well, as a, a pastor who's done many funerals, we have that as a part of our, our liturgy there in, in the service. And after we're done with the prayer of the church and we walk, you know, we've got our baptismal font and we've got our, our, the body, the casket there, and we're, we're saying these words. And it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to speak to, not only in the mo moment of, of grave sickness, but, but death itself, and to say, Christ has overcome this death yeah. and, uh, it's, it is, it's, it's a way for us to see that even your sickness, if you have a friend, a loved one, you yourself, who's a Christian, who is, who's going through this, um, this too, uh, will be for the glory of God because he will bring that lowly body, uh, and make it like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subdue all things to himself. Mm. So we've covered the who. We've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus along with Jesus. The where is Bethany. What? Lazarus is sick. Why? We've talked about the glory of God. But then we come to the when. And the, the when we find out in verse 6 is that Jesus finds out this news, but he doesn't go as quickly as maybe you or I would go. Talk about the, the when of this text. Yeah, so he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Uh, he delays. He delays. And uh, really what he's doing here is he is showing his obedience to his father. He's, he's waiting until the time, the time that has been appointed by his father, when his father would glorify him, Jesus, through this resurrection miracle. And it is a reminder to us that God's timing is the best timing and that his will is good and gracious. Uh, though it might tarry in our minds, it even might cause suffering uh, and death itself. Uh, you know, the suffering, I think of Moses. Moses says to, to the Lord, you know, heal her, heal her about, about Miriam. Um, she has her, her uh, leprosy and he wants it right away. And, and the Lord, you know, does it when the Lord does it. And so he's teaching us to be patient. He's teaching us to you know, suffer so that that produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope and, and to rely on him then and to see that his good outcome is, is going to come uh, in his way and in his time. And 
you know, this is a perfect thing for us to look to in the midst of, you know, crying out, why Lord, why? Because, uh, he will eventually show us that through this suffering, he will draw us closer to himself, back to his word, back to prayer, and ultimately will in the resurrection bring, bring all of these things to uh, their goal. And so while we might not know why God is doing everything, what we can know is he, he has a good and gracious will. If he who, he who did not spare his own son, but for us all, how will he not also with him, you know, graciously give us all things? Uh, he's going to work it out for our good. And it's, it's a good reminder for us here that he will delay uh, and, and he will do it for our, our own uh, sharpening of our faith. It reminds me of, of Luther. Luther talked about, you know, the making of a theologian and he used the Latin phrases, oratio, so pray, uh, meditatio, so meditate on scripture and all of its forms of scripture, preaching, you know, hymn singing, all of that. And then he talked about tentatio, and that, that's a word that comes from, from the Latin for tension and, you know, tension in all sorts of different ways in life. Um, and it seems as if God is not going to fulfill his promise, right? And it brings a tension in life. And so, yeah, if you love him, why aren't you, why aren't you going to save him right away? And, uh, Jesus says, well, I do love him, but trust in me Hmm. and, and come back to my word, come back to my promises and see that I, I will work all things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a reason there for him staying those two days longer. Hmm. You mentioned earlier how the, the illness of Lazarus comes up very, very much here in these first couple of verses and is repeated more than once. And I, I think that stands in that tension with the fact that, as you were just saying, that this Lazarus is the one whom Jesus loves. And then as John repeats it in verse five, Jesus loved all of them. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that fact that Jesus loves Lazarus and he loves Mar- Mary and Martha as well I think that's the, you know, that is the word of God to use those, those three that Luther gave us, you know, the prayer we've seen that Lord, the one you love is ill. We see the tentatio, he he is ill and there's this tension. Well, what's the word of God upon which we would meditate in that case is the fact that the Lord loves us, right? And and the fact that we're sick doesn't change that. And that, boy, that's a great comfort to us still when we get sick. Absolutely. Yeah. Well put. And it, it just shows that this works itself out in every situation in a Christian's life in any crisis and any sickness and any time when you're feeling that tension, uh, remember that, that the Lord has promises for you in the midst of it. He, he always does, uh, you know, go to the cross and comfort section of the hymnal, go to the trust section of the hymnal, go, go to you know, your pastor, hear, hear the preaching go to scripture, read, read the Psalms, read the promises and, you know, and, and then pray. And, and that's, that's always where we're going to point people as pastors. That's where fellow Christians should point each other in the midst of those tensions in life where we wonder, you know, why God, like, like Psalm 13, right? You know, how long are you going to forget us forever? And the answer is no, I'm not going to forget you forever. You know, um, morning might, might come in the night, but you know, uh, in the morning there will be joy. And so, yeah, that that's right. So there, there are great, 
Great words of comfort here from these first few verses of, of John chapter 11. Yes, Lazarus is ill, but Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and his delay does not mean that he has stopped loving them. Rather, he is going to bring glory to God and life to Lazarus, as we will see. So Jesus has stayed for two days upon hearing the news that Lazarus is ill, and then it's time to go, and the disciples aren't aren't sure why Jesus would want to go back to, to Judea. We've got about two minutes here before the break. Pastor Price, help us into this, this next bit of interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Yeah, so Jesus' uh, disciples say, uh, well, first Jesus says, let us go to Judea again. And they say, you know, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So here we know that this is close upon the heels of, of the end of chapter 10. And so they had just picked up stones to kill him. Jesus had to, you know, they sought to arrest him and he escaped from their hands. So it really does seem from all appearances that the disciples are the ones who are talking sensibly here in Jesus' novels, right? But appearance is going to be deceiving. And so Jesus answers them, you know, are there not 12 hours in the day? So he's saying it's, it's daytime. If anyone walks in the day, and that's what Jesus is doing, he does not stumble, right? Jesus is listening to his father. And it's just because he sees the light of the world. Jesus is trying to tell them, listen, I am listening to my father as long as he tells me to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. If, if they don't, if the father has not set my time to die yet, then I am not going to die. I'm not going to stumble. And he says, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And here he is, is, is pointing out kind of what the disciples uh, need to hear. And that is that uh, you're going to stumble if you don't keep following the father's will like I am. Um, I'm going to have my hour. The father's going to say, okay, now is the time to suffer and die. And that's going to be a dark time of suffering and sorrow to come. Um, but you follow me. He's, he's continuing to tell them to pick up their cross and follow him. And this is the way it is for us as Christians that he's given us each day to live in our vocation. The Lord's vocation was to save us. Our vocation is not to save ourselves, but to serve our neighbor and to cling by faith to Christ and, and to our heavenly father. And so as we live by faith in him and our vocation, this keeps us from stumbling. He is the light that, that lightens our paths with his word, as we read in Psalm 119. And, and when God finally calls us home, uh, when he sees fit, you know, that, that's the time when we will, will enter into uh, uh, that. But we, we, in the meantime, it's day. Let us walk in it. And he says, it is day for me. And I'm going to continue to walk even though there's danger. Yeah, so Jesus continues resolutely in the mission that his father has given and calls his disciples to follow him. We're going to keep looking at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Stephen Preuss this morning about John chapter 11. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, February 28th. We are studying John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus' answer, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Talked about how that applies to us as Christians within our vocations. After Jesus says these things, in verse 11, he says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, this is something that perhaps we would pass over, but there is great comfort in these words of Jesus. Uh, What is Jesus saying and why is it comforting to us as Christians? Yeah, I want to start by you saying that what you just said, that we will tend to pass over these verses. I like to tell my my members, you know, we live in Iowa. You know, we just mentioned Denver, Iowa, in fact. That's right. And a lot of people, you know, they call us the flyover states. You know, we got to get to the saltwater states so that we can go and have stuff that we can actually do. And they think that there's nothing here. Well, we who live here know there is something here and, and are very uh, happy to be Midwesterners and whatnot. But I like to talk about flyover verses and use that kind of as a way to to speak about how, you know, you can get a whole lot of gospel out of some of these flyover verses that you just pass over and think that there's not much there. Boy, is there a lot in this verse. This is one of actually the sweetest verses you're going to find in, in scripture. Uh, John 11, verse 11, where Jesus says that Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's using the language of the Old Testament. You know, David went to go sleep with his fathers. And uh, why sleep? Well, there has been a kind of resurgence of, of hearing about what are known as the sweet names of death. Francis Pieper wrote this in his Christian Dogmatics in his third volume. And, and Pastor Brian Wolfmuller has done a great job of bringing these out and doing a, just a, a fantastic uh, kind of commentary on these sweet names of death for believers. Uh, and he, he gives a, a list, Francis Pieper does, being gathered to one's own people is the way death is described in Genesis 25. A departure in peace, we hear in, in Simeon's song, right? And, and two, um, a departure in being with Christ in Philippians 1 a turning away from the evil to come in Isaiah 57. Uh, sleep, we'll, we'll turn to that here, a rest in Revelation uh, 14, 
Uh, one of my favorites is Philippians, who wanted to live as Christ, to die is gain, right? What a, what a way of death that it's gain. And so, so Francis Pieper uh, brings out all of these different ways in which uh, scripture speaks of death, and he calls them the sweet names of death. And uh, he says that every Christian, and especially every teacher in the church, ought to know the sweet names of death well and use them. And so here we are using them. We need to bring these out. We need to show how especially comforting this is and and this sleep to return to the text itself here. This comes right from the lips of Jesus. He calls that sleep. And obviously the real comfort is is when Jesus says, I go to awaken him. But uh, that that is the whole point, that there is an awakening after death that makes it asleep. And so Jesus can speak this way about death because of, of his power to raise the dead, as we'll hear in, in the days coming. And it's a power that comes from his own death and resurrection. He has taken the sting of death away because he's taken our sin away. He has silenced the law, and now he gives us the victory. Uh, through his own death and resurrection. Uh, and, and that's why we who are baptized into his death and resurrection, who trust in him, when we fall, uh, we go to death, we fall asleep in death. We are those who are asleep in Christ and he will one day raise us. Now, quick note is that this is referring to the body, not the soul, right? So we know the soul goes to heaven when Christians die. Uh, the soul of those who do not believe go to hell, the soul of those who souls of those who do believe go to heaven. But the body is is laid to rest. We say rest in peace. Uh, and we have in our caskets, you know, the pillow that's right there, and the head is put on the pillow and they're lying down. And so there are a couple of hymns that I like to to point to with this. And um both of them are are hymns. One's one I, I grew up learning, my wife did too. The other one my wife learned uh, and, and really loved, and I have come to, to love myself. Uh, so the first one is, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. And so that's in our Lutheran service book, book um, 708, stanza three. I sing this to my kids every night. Mm-hmm. Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home that I may die unfearing. Uh, what's nice about this one is actually about Lazarus uh, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. But so this is saying, okay, when I die, the Lord's going to send his angels to bring me to Abraham's bosom in, in heaven. That's my soul. And so I can die unfearing. I'm going, my soul's going to heaven when I die. But then it says, and it's, and in its narrow chamber, keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken, right? That these mine eyes with joy may see, O son of God, thy glorious face, my savior and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. So there you have the, the sleeping of the body in the casket until the reappearing of Jesus Christ at the day of the resurrection, where he will awaken us from death and we will see him face to face, just like Job says, with my own eyes, right? And he will uh, stand in the flesh there and we will stand in the flesh and we will, even though we have, you know, our skin has been destroyed, we will see uh, the Lord and our, our, you know, our hearts faint within us with Job to even think about this glory. But there you have that, that whole uh, use of, 
of sleep. This is a scriptural way. This is Jesus' way of talking about the death of believers is that they are asleep and he's going to awaken them. That's how he speaks of, of Lazarus. The other hymn is All Praise to Thee, My God, This Night. It's an, eight, an evening hymn, 883 uh, in, in LSB. And it's Danta 3 says this, and I just love this line. Teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. What a, what a way of thinking. Teach me to die that so I may rise glorious on the awful day. So the full of awe day. And, uh, but what a line that, that we wouldn't dread our, our, our grave any more than we dread our bed. And I don't dread my bed. I oftentimes am so excited to get into bed and get a rest, right? And sleep. And so to be able to look at your grave that way. So this is what we call the, one of the sweet names of death. It's from the, the mouth, the lips of Jesus himself. Lazarus has fallen asleep, but here's the promise. This is the word that you can cling to. I go to awaken him. And that's the word of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate, again, bringing out the sweet names of death and all of those various phrases that are used throughout the scriptures that teach us not to be afraid of death. And I, I suppose, you know, the sweet names of death, that would be a, a way of reminding us that these are, are names that bring us comfort at the time of death to know that Christ has the victory over it. And and to a degree, then, it, it prov- provides a, an opportunity to, to mock death or, you know, I mean, to say to death, look, you, you seem so powerful, and yet, because I have Christ and Christ has me, I know that death is is no worse than sleep, that I don't have to be afraid of you. And it, it even becomes a, an opportunity to, to mock death, to look death in the eye and say, I'm not afraid because I am with Christ. He is with me. And, and that's such a, a wonderful comfort to the Christian at the moment of, uh, for the Christian who is preparing to die or for the Christian who is mourning the death of a loved one who has died in Christ. In either case, these sweet names of death provide that comfort. I also appreciate you bringing out the fact that we are talking about the body here and not the soul so that we keep the the point of comparison when it comes to sleep. We're, we're keeping it as Jesus would have us keep it. That the I think the reason we, we would understand sleep as a death, according to our Lord, is because it is temporary. Just as you go to sleep right. at night and you wake up the next morning, it's not a permanent thing. So you go to sleep in death, but the Lord awakens you. When we call death a sleep, we're not talking about the awareness of the soul or, or anything like that. We're simply talking about the temporary nature of death. Christ has defeated it. And so death is not a permanent thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it is important to bring that out because there are those who would teach something like soul sleep. Uh, and uh, we don't, we don't want to go, go that route. We want to instead understand the, the awareness of being with Christ in heaven, uh, you know, and then also, uh, the the joy of the reunion of the soul with the body uh, that is glorified on the last day when Christ returns. So yeah, it's always good to bring that that that, that distinction up. I really like what you say too about the mocking of death. That to be able to use this as mocking death. I mean, Saint Paul certainly does that when when he uh, says, you know, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Uh, you know, when you read this at a funeral or, or at a committal, uh, it is a very, very moving thing to read um, as you have that body there in the casket and it's about to be put into the ground. Um, you're able to say this to death and have that great comfort of knowing, yes, I am I am rejoicing that, that the soul is rejoicing in heaven, but my my loved one is body and soul. 
and and is going to be reunited with this very body but glorified and and i'm going to be able to rejoice with this loved one again in that very body i just saw for the last time yeah i mean even you know the hymns that you mentioned singing those at a funeral that that too is this mockery of death that even as the the casket is right there in front of you and your your loved one lies there asleep that we are able to sing these hymns with confidence is, is just such a, a wonderful thing. And another one, you know, that comes to my mind is the hymn, God's own child. I gladly say, yeah, it. yeah. I mean that, that last stanza that's number five ninety four in Lutheran service book. The last stanza includes the line open eyed. My grave is staring. Even there I'll sleep secure, you know? And, and yeah. I mean, especially with a hymn like that, which has such a, a joyful, even bouncy melody to be able to sing that at a funeral. The only way you can is if you have this kind of hope in Christ. This is, I mean, when Paul talks about mourning, but not as those who have no hope, that that's a hymn that really puts the puts bones on that. You know, I mean, that that is the the mourning with hope that we could sing such a hymn at a funeral, and that that can only happen at a Christian funeral. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even there, I'll sleep secure. It's. It's, I've had it at a couple funerals now, and you know, the more you sing it, the more people will, will say it. I had a, a lady, she's 88 years old, and she asked me in Bible class one day, Pastor, would that be a good one to sing at a, at a funeral? I said, oh, would it ever? I mean, that, that's fantastic. And that's, you know, this is why these words are written. These words are written that you might believe in Christ. You go to the end of John, you trust these promises. And you find comfort in them. And so when these poets, these hymn writers are able to put it in a pithy and beautiful way uh, that reminds us of the words of our Lord Jesus uh, that give us such comfort, that's why we love these these hymns. And uh, yeah, they're giving us the promises of Christ himself. So again, no, no flyover verses here in John chapter 11. Such beautiful comfort from the way our Lord speaks in John 11, 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. Comfort there for Lazarus, for Mary and Martha, and comfort for you and me, dear Christian. In verse 12, though, the disciples do not understand, and so Jesus, well, John the evangelist gives us a note, and then Jesus has to explain, talk about the disciples' misunderstanding, and then Jesus' very plain words to them. So the disciples thought that Jesus just meant that Lazarus was sleeping in rest. You know, he was just... You know, they say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. You know, it's almost as if, I don't know if they think it's a coma or if they think, okay, good, he's getting some rest and, and that means he's, he's going to start feeling better. Um, but, but then it's clarified, John says, Jesus had spoken of his death, as, as we know. And uh, so Jesus ends up telling them plainly, just Lazarus has died. And then he explains why again. And he does it even more clearly than he had done before uh, up in uh, verse, verse 4. Uh, and he says, he says this, he says that, uh, uh, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, uh, so that you may believe. And then he says, but let us go to him. So the reasons Jesus is glad, and it kind of gives us a little more clarification, what we were talking about before, that it's not just that the father is glorifying, uh, himself through his son and therefore for glorifying uh, his son. Uh, through this resurrection that is going to happen. But Jesus, Jesus actually wants to do something for the sake of his disciples in this. And the Father wants to do something for the sake of the disciples in this. So Jesus isn't, you know, glad that 
Lazarus died per se, but it's, it's for the disciples' sake, he's saying. They would see Jesus' miracle uh, that demonstrated that he is the resurrection and the light, uh, and, and they would believe in his promises. So though Lazarus had died, he still wanted to go to him, not only to raise him from the dead, but to strengthen the faith of his disciples, because you know what's going to happen here? Right after Lazarus, this whole uh, account with Lazarus, he himself then soon dies and rises again. And so he is strengthening his disciples uh, and he is doing it for their sake. And yes, they might not understand it now. You know, Jesus, he says these kinds of things. You, know, you, you do not understand what I am doing now, right? But later you will understand. And, and this is another instance of this where he waited on purpose. The father wanted him to wait and he waited in order that he might not only glorify himself, but strengthen uh, his disciples' faith. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about the way Jesus speaks here, and as John says, this is Jesus telling them plainly, here Jesus doesn't use one of the sweet names of death. He simply puts it, Lazarus has died. And I, I find that helpful, especially in the context of Jesus saying he's fallen asleep, one of those sweet names of death, to, to see that there is also time and place for us as Christians to be very forthright. Lazarus has died. And, and that's, you know, the enemy has attacked, Lazarus has died, and there's something to that that's a very a sobering thing to hear, again, from the lips of our Lord. And, and still today, there's, I think there's necessity for us as, as Christians to, to do both things, to be able to speak very frankly, this person has died, and, and I will die one day because I am a sinner, yeah. at the same time knowing that in Christ that enemy death has been overcome. To see them both side by side, I think, is helpful for us when we think about the way we approach death and talk about death still today. Yeah, no, and that's a that's a great point, too, because I, I think that otherwise this sleep becomes a mere euphemism, uh, and that's not what it is. It's not just him trying to give us some good word of, you know, think of it in a nice way. Uh, no, he's, he's giving us a very real comfort, and that is that this dead body is going to be alive again. And when you put it that starkly, you then ask yourself, well, why did the body die in the first place? And you have to start looking at what Scripture says, the wages of sin is death. That's why this body died. Lazarus died because Lazarus is a sinner. He didn't just die of a sickness. Grandma didn't just die of cancer. And yes, I know it sounds quite stark. It's because it is. The wages of our sin is death. The, the sting of sin has, has brought about death. And we need to look at that stark reality and then say, well, who can possibly deal with this? Well, show me the doctor. Show me the treatment. And you can't find it, except for in this man, God's son made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so he can call it death, and then he can call it a sleep. And he can say, why? I have the power over death. I have the power over hell. I have the forgiveness of sins that I've purchased by my blood. And I have raised myself from the dead, showing you the power that I have. I'm God's son who's taking your sins away. And so that's why I can say that this death, and that's what it is, is but a sleep. And so it's a law and gospel, right? And this is the sharp that we're talking about uh, over and over again. We need both. And, and it, it makes it more comforting then. It's not a euphemism. It's real. Jesus took your death and you died with him in baptism and uh, you rise to new life through his resurrection. After Jesus tells his disciples, let us go to him, to Lazarus, 
we hear Thomas speak up. Here, John says he's Thomas called the twin. We know him very well as Doubting Thomas, and and this is another example where we meet him in the scriptures. What does he say, and how should we understand the way Thomas means these words? I don't know. I (laughs) I was hoping you'd tell me. (laughs) I know, right? So he's sensing the danger in Judea. He, and he says to the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So here's the question. Is Thomas showing the opposite of the doubting label that's so often affixed to his name? Or does that label fit here too? Is, is he instead despondent, thinking that they all must die if they go with Jesus to Judea, not yet believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Uh, well, I'll, I'll just leave it to people to decide on that one. I, I, I kind of go back and forth and I, I think that, uh, there, there certainly could be the doubting. I mean, Thomas certainly has that reputation, but uh, it could also be a courage of saying, you know what, if he's going to go, let's go with them. Even if it means we die, uh, let's trust in our savior. And so it could also be a courage and, um, I'm I'm sorry to say that I, I haven't come down to a firm conclusion on that one yet. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm not sure what to make of it either, which I, I suppose there's there's several cases in the scriptures where you you hear someone and, and a faithful someone like Thomas say something and you're not sure exactly is there faith behind it? Is there misunderstanding behind it? And, and maybe, you know, when it's all said and done, we can't say with certainty. But perhaps there is something to be said about about his attitude as at least the words that he speaks. Let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, ultimately, that is the, the call of Jesus is to follow after him carrying our cross, knowing that as, as we follow him into death, we also follow him through death and into resurrection. Even if, if Thomas means it sarcastically or more despondently rather than faithfully and boldly, Ultimately, what he says, these are, are words that we as Christians would echo in faith that we do follow Christ into death and then into life. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the main point to take from what Thomas says is that he understands that this is a dangerous thing that, that Jesus is doing and he's going into something. And yeah, whether he's he's sarcastic and saying, yeah, let's go and do this. Uh, or if he's saying, yeah, why, uh, let's be bold. Uh, it reminds me of a, a Luther, who, who's, and talks about, you know, martyrdom, you know, and if they cut off my head, Jesus will just give me another one in the resurrection. And, uh, if this is what Thomas is saying, well, then thanks be to God. Uh, Thomas is giving us a great way of, of looking at this. Let's die with him. And isn't that the way we should all look at it? it picking up a cross involves suffering and, and, and the death of our, of our sinful nature and of this world and of the devil in our, under his influence, his influence that, that it would die and that we would rise as those who, who cling to Christ, no matter what. Um, and ultimately then rise, uh, after our, our physical death, uh, to, to a physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection, uh, to eternal life. So whichever way, uh, he knows the danger and, and we too should know the danger, but also in faith cling to the promises, which is why we are bearing the cross is because we know that after we bear the cross because of Christ's cross and resurrection, because of his word that has uh, great power as we'll hear in, in the days ahead, 
uh, we too shall rise. Yeah, I mean, again, whether or not Thomas meant it this way, it, it's this is the way that Christians mean it when we sing. And again, to, to quote a hymn, let us ever walk with Jesus, number 685, yeah. the third stanza, let us gladly die with Jesus, since by death he conquered death, he will free us from destruction, give to us immortal breath. Let us mortify yeah. all passion that would lead us into sin, and the grave that shuts us in shall but prove the gate to heaven. Jesus, here with you I die, there to live with you on high. Again, did Thomas have that all in mind? I don't know. But but that is the way faithful Christians sing it today because of what Christ has done. Pastor Preuss, we have about three minutes left here on the morning. Help us to wrap things up on this start to John chapter 11. Yeah, you know, we've talked about already the who. We've talked about Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Jesus, the disciples, the where— <laughs> that Lazarus is in Bethany. That's where Mary and Martha are from as well. Jesus is in Bethany across the Jordan. Uh, we've talked about the what. Lazarus was ill, uh, and we know that he eventually dies. We've talked about the why. This is that the Son of Man or Son of God would be glorified through Lazarus's uh, illness. Uh, we know the when. Jesus waited, right, two days in order that this might happen, and he does this uh, in order that he might uh, do it for the sake of his disciples to strengthen their faith. And the one thing we haven't considered with all those those questions is the how. And that's what what we're going to get into in the days ahead. And the how is is ultimately uh, we know through his powerful word as God's son that he can simply say to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out and he lives. And that powerful word comes from uh, the work that Jesus then goes on as, as we continue on in John uh, in his suffering, death, and resurrection. Uh, there's a basis for the power of his word. And the basis for the power of his word is that, is that he has won for us the forgiveness of our sins through his death on the cross. Uh, he paid our penalty. He died our death. And by being our substitute there upon the cross, he gave to God a righteous life, and He took our our uh, punishment so that so that our punishment is taken away. That God has has in His Son reconciled us to Himself, not counting our trespasses against us. And and now that His Son is risen from the dead, He has a victory over sin, death, and the devil, and He gives to us in His Word the same powerful Word that raised Lazarus from the dead is the word that you hear proclaimed uh, in, in your church from the pulpit, from the font, from the altar, and, and what you then encourage and um, one another with as you as Christians uh, share that gospel with one another. This is a powerful word. And so we've, we've considered everything but the how uh, up until this point, and, and we'll be able to get into that beautiful how uh, in, in the days ahead. Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, Jesus says. Death is the real problem, but Jesus has conquered that enemy so that we who believe in him go to sleep in death and awaken on the last day to life everlasting. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Tim Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the Gospel of John, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.